Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Hi, Larry Mueller here. Happy to have you along today as we visit with Melinda Myers. She's a nationally known gardening expert. She's been with us many times on the program. She's a TV and radio host. She's an author, a columnist, over 30 years of experience in horticulture. And she's written over 20 gardening books and has received some great reviews for her released a second edition of Midwest Gardener's Handbook. All you need to know to plant, plan, and maintain a Midwest garden. So we'll talk with her about how to propagate plants to begin with. And, of course, we'll take your garden questions as well, indoors or out, I guess. Join the conversation. The number to call is 800-642-1234. It's one 800 Six four two one two three four, or send an email to ideas at wpr.org. Ideas at wpr.org. Melinda Myers, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Always great to chat with you and your listeners, Larry. Well, we'll start by talking about propagating houseplants. Uh, it's kind of a cool thing to do, and there are quite a, f- actually, I guess, quite a few ways that you can propagate houseplants, but... There are probably some that are better and more foolproof than others. <laughs> what do you think? You bet. And the way you're laughing, I'm guessing maybe you've had some success and maybe not so much. We've all had those failures as gardeners. That's part of learning, right? Absolutely. And, and one thing I always like to do, a little disclaimer, is remember that all these new introductions that are being made, breeders have spent a lot of time and money developing them. And if they're patented, we really shouldn't be propagating those. But there's plenty of older varieties, heirloom plants, things that you've passed down from one generation to the next. So there's plenty of things to start new plants for yourself or to share. And so probably the one most people know, and, you know, growing up, my my grandma had a little um, kind of this really cute ceramic thing that she always had cuttings rooting in water. Yeah. Well, one of the, they, a lot of people do that and have great success. The roots that form are a little bit different more elongated, thinner than those roots that form when you root a cutting in, say, vermiculite or potting mix. So you could skip the step. I like to just root my things right away in vermiculite or potting mix so that I get the roots the plant needs. I shorten the time. And for many people, it increases their success. So leaf stem cutting, probably the most common and easiest. And one of the big mistakes I see is people taking big, long cuttings, thinking, well, I'm going to start with a 12-inch piece of the plant so I have a big plant, but that's a lot of leaves that lose the moisture. So a three or four inch cutting, remove the lowest leaf, and then just stick that cutting, that cut end in vermiculite. If you tend to be an overwaterer, <clears throat> excuse me, an underwater or a potting mix, that's what I use. You know, vermiculite drains well. So if you tend to overwater, stick it in vermiculite. If you're like me and you're an underwaterer, stick it in potting mix that holds the moisture better. And then I just loosely cover it with a plastic bag. So I set the pot in a plastic bag. Don't close it. It increases the humidity. Put it in a bright location out of direct sunlight. In a couple of weeks, you'll have a rooted cutting. And if you start it in potting mix, you're set to keep it growing. Or else, if it's in vermiculite, just repot it as needed. Um, That's probably the easiest way that can be used where so many different plants, pothos, philodendrons, those are easy ones to propagate. If your plant cuttings tend to rot or don't root effectively, 
rooting hormones another option. So you dip that cut end in some rooting powder, hormone powder that has fungicides to prevent rot or reduce the risk, and then also hormones to uh, promote rooting. And so that can help, you know, if you're having failures or you've got some plants that are a little challenging, that's a great way to do it. So that's probably the easiest and most common way to start plants. Are there some that are just so darn hard to do? (laughs) (laughs) That just give it up and just buy a new plant? Yes. And (laughs) one that I always, you know, coleus is always said to be very easy to to propagate. And I find I take twice as many cuttings (laughs) as I want to root because, I don't know, for me that's one that that I sometimes am challenged with. And I usually use rooting hormone to increase my success with that one. Cacti and succulents can be a little challenging because you need to what's called suberize or callus over the cut end. So you may be growing, say, a jade plant and a leaf drops and it starts a new plant on its own. Nothing you did other than not clean it up. Um, But sometimes when we take that leaf stem cutting, we need to let that suberize or callus over for a day or two so the cut end won't rot. And some people do have trouble with getting cacti and succulents to root because of that. You don't want them to totally dry out and, you know, desiccate, but you also can't overdo the water because then they'll rot. Um, And I always say, you know, especially and if it's an heirloom plant, right, something that's been passed down in the family, I don't know about you, but if there's some reason to hang on to it, a special meaning, those are always the ones that are harder to grow and harder to propagate, (laughs) all that responsibility. Um, The other one you could do is a leaf cutting, and if you have like a Rex begonia, you know, you really, you know, you really got that big flat leaf. This one's a little tricky. So this is not one for people who like 100% success. This is something that you do, and and when you're successful, you brag about it. And if it doesn't work, nobody has to know. And you take that leaf, remove it from the plant, slice through those big, thick stems, put that leaf on the soil surface in a pot with moist potting mix. You'll need to anchor it with like a florist pin or some other way to keep the leaf in contact with the soil. And everywhere you slip through that vein has the potential to start a new plant. And so that's kind of a cool thing because from one leaf Mm. you can get several plants. Um, I've had some success, and I've had probably more failures than success with this method. But, you know, it's part of the fun of gardening, right, not giving up. So um, that's another thing. African violets are another fun one to propagate by a leaf cutting. But this is done a little different. You take the leaf, but you leave the leaf stem, the petiole, intact, and then you just bury that leaf stem in the moist potting mix, and you have to wait like two months, one to two months. <laughs> I know. So this is not for people who want quick results. I think I've lost a few of your listeners already. Forget <laughs> that one. Um, and you'll get a new plant forming. And so that's kind of another cool thing to do. And you can do something similar with snake plants. Chop up the leaves, those long strappy leaves into two-inch sections. Make sure the end that was closest to the roots is what gets buried. Stick them into moist potting mix or a peat moss vermiculite mix, and again, it'll shoot up new plants. The cool thing is, from a genetic standpoint, if you do that with a variegated snake plant, it'll come out solid green with just the normal pattern, no variegation. 
because the genetic material that tells it to be variegated is in the rhizome, not in the leaf. Oh. So it's kind of, yeah. So, you know, it's, plants are just amazing, you know, when you think about it. And fun to do with kids because, you know, here you're starting a new plant from part of an old one and lots of fun lessons. And we're gardeners. So we like to do that no matter how old we are, right? Absolutely. You know, back to begonias for a minute. Uh, Audrey emailed, uh, she saved a a potted angel wing begonia and wonders about propagating it. Which How would she do it with the angel wing? You know, and angel wings are wonderful. I love bringing them in for winter, the dragon wing, the angel wing, because they really adapt well to the inside. That would be a great one to do a leaf stem cutting would probably be the easiest. She could also try a leaf cutting as well if she wants to, you know, do a leaf stem cutting for greatest success. And then if you do the leaf cutting, you know, that's kind of if it works, you'll have an extra few plants. But a leaf stem cutting would be a great way because those have nice cane stems and the leaves coming off of them. And I think I forgot to mention, we typically, after we make our cut, remove the lowest leaf because that's where, that node is where those roots will form. So like a three or four inch cutting, take off the lowest leaf and then bury that portion. And um, usually only takes a couple weeks. I find begonias pretty easy. The leaf stem cuttings pretty easy to do. A different question. Tammy emailed to ask how to start Dutchman's pipe vine from winterized seed pods. They've tried, they soaked them in warm water, uh, uh, let the viable ones kind of soak in warm water for a couple of days, 48 hours, and then planted them in warm soil, half inch deep, covered, and kept warm. And they read it takes two to eight weeks to start, but. I guess it's been more than that, and there aren't any sprouts. Um, so I'm, it sounds like she's collected. I'd be honest, I have not propagated these myself. I'm guessing she, it sounds like she collected them from her plant. So first of all, making sure that <clears throat> it sounds like she checked that they are mature and viable. So she made sure she soaked them. Um, it sounds like she did her research, um, and some plants can be a little tricky needing a cold period, um, stratification, needing some cold, and then some need a cold, warm cold. Um, one of the things I've learned is patience really pays off. She might want to dig down and make sure there are still intact seeds there. If she's got several, she started just to see yeah. if, rot- if they're rotted, if they're doing anything. Um and so, you know, I wouldn't give up just yet, but I would definitely look and see what's going on underneath with at least one or two of those seeds. Uh, so, and by the way, you can join in at 1-800-642-1234, 800-642-1234, or email at ideas at org, just like Sonia in Duluth did. She emailed, she has a a lemon tree for a little over a year. Her name, their tree, Lemmy. <laughs> it's been <laughs> doing well. You inspired her. <laughs> <laughs> Last summer, she had it out on the deck, and it grew many leaves. When she brought it in, it lost half its leaves, mostly on the bottom of the tree, but now seems to be stable. Is this normal, and how often should she be feeding it? And are there uh, any other tips for keeping a lemon tree alive and better yet, growing lemons? 
Okay, so anytime you want to jump in as the successful <laughs> citrus grower, please feel free. Um, I've had some good success with some limes. Um, I always seem to get scale on my citrus plants, so I'm taking a break for a few years. Um, a couple things. Feeding in the winter, usually we're just trying to keep the plants alive. So unless they're actively growing, best not to really fertilize until our days get longer, the light intensity improves. Um, and then you can start fertilizing and using either a balanced fertilizer or one that promotes flowering and fruiting. And then following directions, I tend to be a dilute solution kind of fertilizer because you can always add more. You can't take it away. Um, good bright light is really critical and sometimes hard. Do you have yours in just a sunny window, your lemon the south-facing tree? window in the, uh, in winter, and Limey sits out on the deck on the upper, the second floor deck in the summertime and then uh, would come in in the winter on a south-facing window. I actually fertilize it every time. Oh, you do? Okay. <clears throat> I use a fish emulsion fertilizer. Oh. So you're using an organic, very low nutrient. Right. That's a great point, Larry. Um, So if you're using something like that, that's releasing small amounts of nutrients over a longer period of time. And so you're not going to risk damaging those tender roots. I'm glad you brought that up, where if you're using a traditional house plant fertilizer that's more quick release with higher levels of nutrients, definitely think about either greatly diluting it or waiting till March to start fertilizing. And let your plant be the guide. It sounds like you have a great spot, and your plant's Mm -hmm. pretty mature. So obviously you've got a good spot Mm -hmm. for winterizing it. Um, Leaf drop is very normal um, when you bring plants in from outside, um, and it takes them a while to adjust. They actually, the the cells in the leaves change from being uh, the way they're arranged so they can receive more light in lower light conditions. And then when they're outside, they're arranged in a way to block some of that excess light. So that's why we see many of the lights drop, because they're not allowing enough light for photosynthesis and adjusting to the new climate. So um, any other advice? I'm going to, uh, you know. I use a pole lamp okay. <laughs> for lighting. So you, uh, so you've got three uh, three different uh, kind of levels where the light's hitting uh, limey. Well, and that's really important as your plants get larger. A lot of the new, you know, there's a lot of big agriculture happening in warehouses mm. and things like that. And one of the things they're they're doing is trying to do exactly what you're doing. The bigger the plants, you need to get light from all different levels. So even though it's in that beautiful sunny window, you're supplementing. And that's really important with citrus. They like good, bright light. And so that probably reduces your leaf drop when you bring mm, them inside mm-hmm. and yeah. keeps them going well. It uh, it does indeed. And uh, limey would uh, flower voraciously once brought inside. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So are you enjoying any limes in your favorite <laughs> beverage? <laughs> Well, that that has been known to happen. <laughs> Limey's had up to thirty limes at. Wow. Uh, so, it, uh, been a, it was a very good been a very good plant. Let's put it that way. Bob and Sun Prairie has something for us. Let's go there. Bob, Hi, Bob. Hello. Hi, Bob. What's on your mind? <clears throat> well, I've got a yard full of hostas. And in the fall, I, I cut them back, and there, there's a stem that comes out of the center of them with a 
these seeds that are kind of laddered back and forth, and there's a lot of them. And so this year I saved those seeds and just set them in an open tray to, to dry. And I'm wondering about, uh, can I just plant those? Or do they need to be started in a pot indoors first? Or Yeah, and I'm, I'm telling yeah. you, honestly, I'm cheating here a little bit to check about seeing. One of the things I like to do is um, I like to, if a plant is native to areas where it's cold and they typically set seed, hostas tend to bloom in the summer, so you probably, there are some fall bloomers, um, to get them to germinate. So I always like to say if it's a tropical plant, like a citrus, you probably don't need a cold treatment. If it's something that's from um, a cold climate, sometimes you do. Hostas don't need that cold treatment, so you can start them. I would probably start them indoors just to increase your success or set aside an area outside after the danger of frost to start them. But by starting them indoors, you can have a small transplant you know, they won't come true from seed if it's a hybrid, which I'm guessing it is. Um, but that's often how they introduce new varieties on the market as well. And so you can just plant them up. You might want to wait till you get closer to the garden season. You know, give it a, you know, at least maybe 8 to 12 weeks before you're going to plant them outside. So maybe more like March, April. Um, start your seeds indoors, and then you'll have small transplants you can move outside. Otherwise, just prepare an area in the garden. Um, you know, you're just increasing your success starting them inside, but if you've got a space, you can keep an eye on them, maybe protect them from birds and animals digging them and see what comes up. Um, it's A friend of mine who's passed away has introduced a bunch of different hostas that he shared with friends that he would select out for different variegation and different growth habits. So it'd be a fun experiment to see sure. what you get from your seeds. Yeah, good luck, Bob. Thank you very much uh, for calling. Carl uh, wondered, how do you plant, or I'm sorry, how do you propagate rosemary, or can you do it? <laughs> well, first of all, keeping it alive is the first yeah. challenge for most of us. Um, and then there's probably those people out there going, well, it's easy, Melinda. Um, I would do a leaf stem cutting with that. And if you can, from the tender growth, not the woody part, so that newer growth, that's a great way to do it. I always like to make my cuttings above a, a set of leaves so whatever's left looks good. Um, it's one that's fairly fairly easy to, to root if it's a healthy plant. Um, I just find for winter finding the right spot, good, bright location, cooler temperatures, and a place you'll remember to water if you've had trouble overwintering your plants. It sounds like he's got no problem overwintering <laughs> because enough plant growing to propagate. So leaf stem cuttings would work great for that. Melinda Myers, our guest today, nationally known gardening expert, a uh, number of great books um, including one of my uh, favorites, her Midwest gardening book. Uh, and you can join in with your questions. You can call us at 800-642-1234, or you can email us to ideas at wpr.org. Tyler Ditters, our engineer today. Jill Nadeau, our producer. I'm Larry Mueller for the Ideas Network. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mueller here with Melinda Myers. Always great to have her come by 
and talk about what's going on either inside or outside when it comes to plants, and you can join in. Well, lines are filled right now, but uh, email to ideas at WPR.org. Phyllis and Madison, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, I have snake plants at Sansevera, and um, I, I got them when they were already quite large, and they've been moved and all, and they're 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 falling over. They don't grow up straight. The new shoots come up straight, but the others are really getting bad. And I, I tried to make little fences to hold them, but it hasn't worked very well. I wonder if there's a product out there you can buy a, a nice, sturdy, good-looking fence to put around it. One thing about snake plants, they're, they're toted as being shade-tolerant. They will tolerate low light, but they really prefer good, bright, sunny conditions. And, in fact, they'll even bloom for you if they're grown in a sunny window. And those stems tend to be stiffer and sturdier. And you're right. Um, you know, I've got some in an east-facing window. They're doing pretty good, but the older leaves tend to be a little floppy. I have not seen any pots with built-in support. Um, I bet some of your listeners, Larry, may have some suggestions for us. I love to be creative and do some of my own things. I've used everything from long skewers and then just use some decorative, either twine or something, something good and long. Um, One of the problems is your steak, you know, having a good heavy pot because those snake plants tend to be pot top heavy. And then you add the steaks and everything goes tumbling over. There are plastic pots that some plants come in with built-in trellises. Um, Unfortunately, they're usually pretty short, and they're just for smaller house plants. I don't know if you have any thoughts, Larry. I haven't really seen any. I haven't either. Any good? Sorry. Um, Somebody, Phyllis, I bet will will chime in and let us know if there's something cool out there. Phyllis, I hope you go to the Garden and Landscape Expo. You know what? That's a great point. I see you're going to be there, and I will, too. And they always have cool products that um, we just have to have to try. (laughs) That is the most fun place to go. What is it? February 10th through the 12th. You're there. You're there for quite a bit. You're giving quite a few talks. I if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I'm there every day, and I have a booth, too, so people can stop by and say hello. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I I will be there with uh, Lisa Johnson and Brian Huddleston. We'll be doing something Saturday morning at 9.30. It's fun. And so it's a great way. Good lectures. Well, I'm going to put a plug in. It's one of my favorite places, too. And um, um, I always joke that having a booth there keeps me from spending too much money. <laughs> However, I do find time to shop and try to sneak in on a few lectures as well because there's plenty to learn from all the experts there. Absolutely. The 10th through the 12th in Madison. Well, Dick and Cumberland will give you a chance. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've got a problem to, uh, trying to uh, get a trumpet vine to grow on the back side of my property. Years ago, I had it on the west side of my house, so it only got uh, the sun when it was dipping in the west, of course. And it was eight feet tall, had hundreds of blossoms, and the hummingbirds were all over it. So when we added onto the house, I bought another hummingbird or <laughs> trumpet vine, and I stuck it in back of our house on top of uh, the edge of a hill. And it has plenty of sun exposure in the morning or throughout the day. It does have shade to the north, however. They guess east, west, sun, and, and southerly sun. I just can't get that thing to uh, to blossom, and I can't get it to grow over three, four feet tall. So how I'm, old? How long has it been in that spot? 
it's been there about four or five years now, if not a little bit longer, Linda. And then is your soil heavy clay? Is it sandy, rocky? What's your soil type? Oh, gracious. Um, it's not the best. Um, it's probably got a good t- six inches of topsoil, but after that it's probably rock and some clay. Okay. Trumpet vine really do like a sparse diet, so to speak. Sometimes they fail to bloom for two reasons. One, they're not mature enough, and sometimes it can take five to seven years before they reach maturity to start flowering. Um, too much fertilizer can limit its growth as well. So you, you're kind of, the fact your plant hasn't taken off, do you think there's any, you know, it sounds like it's it's on a hill, so have you been able to initially make sure that it had sufficient water during extended dry periods? Uh, you know, four years old, it should be pretty good on its own. Um, yeah, I, have, I haven't done anything to specifically water it myself. I'm just kind of letting nature do its thing, and and that seemed to work for the other one. So I thought, well, we'll see what happens here, but I'm just not getting blossoms. Yeah, yeah and I think part of it might be the maturity. How are you doing? And so it sounds like you're probably not fertilizing it either, which is okay. Yeah. Um, well, what, you, what gets oh, put on the lawn there is lawn fertilizer, and that's it. Okay. So has it got grass growing right up to it, or is it a mulch bed around it? No, it has grass growing up to it. Here's what I would suggest you do. Grass is a big competitor for plants, and so I, and if you're fertilizing your lawn, you're also getting some fertilizer to the plant. If you can create a mulch bed around that plant, you know, even just a couple of feet, it'll make it easier to mow. Um, the bigger the mulch bed, the better for the plant. So whatever you can tolerate, it'll make it easier to mow. But I think you'll see a big increase in growth. Um, when I was teaching at MATC, we had a catalpa tree, and my students used to laugh. They called it a bush because it was very stunted. We extended that mulch bed in the summer of 1995. It was a really a hot, dry summer. That tree put on several feet of growth. Huh. Nobody was watering it, but just huh. by taking the grass away. Yeah, they're, they're grass drinks a lot of water. <laughs> right, big competitor. So I would start with that, Dick, and then it sounds like the plant's getting plenty of nutrients from your lawn fertilizer, and so you don't you want to also keep that fertilizer away from the plant. So by doing the mulch bed, that will help too. I would try that initially. I think you're going to see a big improvement in growth. And then also another year, hopefully this year, um, it'll be closer to being mature and start flowering for you. Good luck. Thank you so much for calling, Dick. Appreciate it. Uh, Richard in New Berlin, we'll go to you. Thank you for calling. Good morning. Good morning. I have a five-foot-tall Ethan Bacchia plant that I had propagated from a shoot, and I feed it cold coffee, and it seems to grow like crazy. Am I, am I doing right or am I doing wrong? And say so use coffee for other house plants. Yeah, you know, coffee is one of those things. There's um, an article out of, uh, I think it's Washington State, Linda Chalker Scott, Washington State. She talks a lot about coffee grounds and using them, and they're great organic matter. There are a few plants that. It's um, allelopathic, meaning it's toxic to them, lettuce seedlings, but most plants can tolerate it. And one of my things about gardening, if it's safe for you, the plant and the environment, and it's working for you, just keep doing it. 
And uh, it's a free source, not high in nitri- not high in nutrients, which is okay, because most of our house plants we tend to overdo. You know, something like uh, Larry's lime tree, it's flowering and fruiting, and so it needs more nutrients than, say, your Diefenbachia that's just putting out leaves and creating its own energy through photosynthesis. So the coffee grounds, if it's working and your plant looks good, I'd keep it up. Um, and you can always add some uh, dilute houseplant fertilizer if you ever think it needs a nutrient boost. But if the leaves are full size, the plant's putting on the amount of growth you want, it sounds like it's getting what it needs. Yes. <laughs> don't don't change. Don't mess with what's working, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Uh, Robert in Chicago. We'll go to you. Hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I uh, I planted an avocado seed uh, a couple years ago, and it sprouted up, and it's about three feet tall. And then last year I planted one to keep it company right next to it, and it's probably about eight inches tall. Um, Is it a possibility I can get avocados off this tree in X amount of time? You know, a year ago I would have said probably no way. And then I had someone, my insurance man's wife, sent me a picture of her (laughs) avocado with avocados on it. So you that's the only person I've ever met. (laughs) I've never heard of it. (laughs) I haven't either. And I put it in my newsletter. Maybe I'll I'll put it in this month. We haven't finished this month's newsletter. Maybe, Robert, I'll put it back in to inspire you. She just grows it out in the summer, in in the winter. You know, I did a lot of research and, you know, oh, you can't get avocados. You can't get them to do it inside. And she sent me a picture and hers is, you know, sometimes I remember when I was an undergraduate at Ohio State University, my professor said, sometimes the book, the plants don't read the book. They do, you know. So, Robert, I think, you know, you have nothing to lose. You have a cool plant that's a beautiful addition to your house. And if it does fruit for you, um, I think her plant was only like eight years old, or I should say only. Um, but if it if it produces fruit in a few years, be sure to send Larry and I pictures because we'd love to add you to that two people <laughs> in Wisconsin who got avocados. Thanks, Rob. Yes, definitely hang on to that plant and yeah. save photos <laughs> for yes. sure. Oh, boy. Uh, Gloria in Waukesha, we go to you. Hi, Gloria. Hi, my husband has been growing canna lilies for over 50 years, and he stores them in vermiculite. This year, they grew to about six feet tall. Wow. And in the basement, in the vermiculite, one of them is two feet tall. Mm. Uh, also, they sprouted he, early. Is that what you're saying? So normal, he's keeping them dormant for the winter, yes. and so one has sprouted already. Yes. And what do you do now? Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, you know, this crazy weather we've had, besides impacting our outdoor plants, sometimes the areas where we're storing our plants, if it's warmer outside, it's going to be warmer inside in the basement or wherever. And so those non-hardy bulbs, cannas, dahlias, things we've got stored, Glory, this is a good reminder to anybody overwintering them, like in their basement, is to check on them. I had luck. I've had just because I wanted to try it. I brought a canna indoor, inside for the winter and left it in a pot and grew it like a house plant in a sunny window. 
it struggled through the winter, but then when I put it back outside, it was fine. So he may want to take that one because if it's two feet tall already, it's starting to grow. If you've got a sunny window, if he could pot it up, put it in a container, pot it up, just try to keep it alive until he can move it outside. Um, you know, otherwise I'm worried if he cuts off the leaves and tries to keep it dormant, it may have used up too much energy yeah. and may not have enough to make it through. So if you've got a spot to grow it like a house plant, add a little greenery. I think that might be his best luck. I think that's right. Uh, good luck. Thank you very much for calling, Gloria. Sherry and Clinton, it's your turn. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Um, I planted two magnolia trees. Uh, one of them I got from Rotary Gardens, and it's a wedding ring. It's gorgeous. It's got spectacular flowers. The other one was given to me by a neighbor, and so I don't know the variety, but I planted it just a year after the other one, and it's never bloomed. Do you, a couple things to keep in mind. Um, have you noticed some of our magnolias bloom pretty early, and our, the flower buds can be damaged by a late-season frost? Um, have you noticed, you notice the flower buds are much larger, um, you know, than the leaf buds on a magnolia? Have you noticed if your tree, the non-flowering one, has produced any flower buds at all? I have not seen any, no. Okay. The other thing is, um, I'm wondering, did she, if it was a seedling or if it was, uh, propagated by a cutting, if it was a much younger plant than your magnolia, the wedding ring that you bought, it may need to get a little larger and more mature. Um, growing conditions the same for both of those, pretty much? Pretty much. One is in the terrace, which is sunnier. Um, one is a little closer to the house, um, okay. but not real close. Okay, so both of them getting at least six to eight hours of sunlight a day? Definitely, definitely. Okay, and the one that's not blooming, the leaves are good size, deep green, look healthy? Gorgeous. It has okay. beautiful shape and lovely foliage. But you okay. know, I've never noticed buds on it, and I noticed the ones on the other one right away. You so. know, not, yeah, one of the things you might want to try is... Um, just to disclose, I do work with malorganite. I do like it, but one of the reasons I like recommending it for plants like yours that's failing to flower is it has non-leaching phosphorus. And what the research has found is when the microorganisms work on releasing the nutrients from the pellets, it releases some of the phosphorus and potassium bound to our soil, making it available for plants. And phosphorus promotes flowering. And so one application in the spring, you don't need to necessarily do it every year, but that might boost it, kick it into flowering for you for some reason. Just like people, plants can be different in terms of the age for flowering, their response to the environment, but you might want to do that. And again, um, making sure that you have a bed of mulch or a, ground, a perennial ground cover or something that's not competing for water and nutrients from that plant because just keeping grass away from plant trees, especially young ones, really is going to reduce the competition and boost growth and flowering. So it sounds like it's healthy, and that shot of malorganite will just help you maybe nudge it into bloom. So you might want to try that this spring. It sounds like everything else is the same 
So it just may be patience and maybe a little malorganite to get it to flower. There you go, Sherry. Thank you so much for calling. Jody in Brooklyn, your turn. Hi, Jody. Hi there. My question to you folks is I have a kangaroo paw fern that has been in the same pot for probably seven to eight years, and it has these loops and things growing from it. I'd like to repot it, but I'm afraid I'll kill it. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I love that plant. There's a garden center near me that has some, and every time I go to buy something for a workshop, I'm like, oh, but I don't need another plant. Um, and it is scary because those rhizomes are hairy, right? And so they grasp the pot. And so you're right. So basically carefully sliding it out and then and you may want to, you could even possibly soak those to loosen them up. That might help. Um, get maybe an extra set of hands in there so that you can carefully kind of direct them over. You're only going to go about an inch bigger in diameter in, contain, in the size of the container and just try to maneuver as carefully as possible. The good news is it, it, well, it's sad to break those rhizomes because that gives it such a neat look and the reason for the name. But, um, you know, it won't kill the plant. It shouldn't kill the plant. The key is just one size bigger in diameter, though, for any house plant. Because if we go too big, the potting mix holds the moisture longer, increases the risk of rot. So I, I feel your pain because I was looking at those two going, oh, man. <laughs> so good luck with that, Jody. I'm sure it'll be fine for you. Uh, thanks very much for calling, Jody. Appreciate it. Melinda Myers, our guest today. I'm Larry Mailer. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mailer here with my guest, Melinda Myers, nationally known gardening expert, TV radio host, author, and columnist got a great website and uh, i hope you'll join in with your questions we've talked propagating plants we've talked all kinds of things actually <laughs> relating to plants number to call 800-642-1234 email to ideas at wpr.org melinda i always like going to your website and it's well, melindamyers.com and i want to always stick an extra e in there you know that you're not the only one. When I worked for Milwaukee City Forester, my boss was Dick Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, and so he got my S and I got his extra E. So, <laughs> so it's M-Y-E-R. <laughs> yeah. Uh, S. Uh, dot com. So, and you have, uh, you get lots of visits to that, don't you? We do. So it's a great way. It's a wonderful way to stay in touch, share what I've learned um, along the way, whether it's working professionally from other professionals, from gardeners. You know, I, I know we all learn so much when we visit with each other, and gardeners love to share plants and seeds and ideas and tips and techniques. And so um, I try to make sure that we can try to get some information to help people have fun and be successful on the way. And some pretty pictures to inspire you um, and just kind of get us through our long winter as well. I did want to mention, I think it was Tammy that called about starting the Dutchman's Pipe from seed. And I missed my opportunity to talk about a much easier way is do layering for vines. Mm -hmm. So um, things like the Dutchman's Pipe vine or clematis or things like that, or even indoor plants, vining indoor plants. 
And basically layering is just um, about nine inches from the tip, cut the stem halfway, treat it with a rooting hormone, bury that part in soil. Now, in the garden, you could bury it right near the plant, or you could put it in a pot. And then once it's rooted, disconnect it from the parent plant. You've got a rooted plant to go put wherever you want. Um, it's just a fun way. Uh, spider plants make it really easy, right? There's the little yeah. plantlet already on the end. And when you're out in the garden weeding, you may find some of your shrubs. I've had forsythias and things where the stems are laying on the ground and they root right on their own, and so you can disconnect it and you got a rooted plant already. So layering's a fun thing to do for house plants and your outdoor vines, and much easier for some plants like the Dutchman's pipe. And I, I did want to mention some webinars that you have as well, because I think those are always fun. And you've got some that are coming up uh, relatively quickly. You bet. So on my website, as you mentioned, com, we've got lots of them. So I'm kicking off with um, houseplants doing indoor container gardens. So we think about designing house, you know, our container gardens. Well, now we can think about doing it indoors. And that one is February 8th. Um, and then on the 15th, I'm doing dahlias, so successful ways to grow, 10 tips for growing healthy dahlias. Dahlias are one of the most popular Pinterest flowers and um, can be a little intimidating. When I started my career, I remember people were, you know, the Dahlia Society and all this great stuff, and then people got tired of saving them. And now they're so affordable and easy to grow that you can start them as annual, so you can buy new ones or save them over winter. So we'll share some tips. And then um, dealing with growing a healthy water garden on the 22nd and working on keeping invasive plants away. And so those are just a few of the things coming up. They're all free thanks to my sponsors, and they're all recorded. So if you can't come to the live broadcast, then you can listen to the recording at your convenience. And just trying to help us get the information out so everyone can have fun. And, Larry, the fun thing that I found with the webinars is in the chat, this whole community of gardeners started. You know, mm. you, you know it's almost not as good as radio or in person, but you know, people sharing, oh, here's a link to this, or I've had success growing this, and I'm from here. And so there's gardeners from all over sharing tips as I'm going through and answering questions. So it's it's been a fun, you know, if there was any good outcome of the whole COVID thing, <laughs> it, you know, it, it nudged me into doing webinars. So. Well, lots of them. And, of course, just go to melindamyers.com, and there's all the information. And Betty in Dodgeville has a question for you, so let's go there. Betty, hi. Hi. I have, a, I have this beautiful bay laurel that I got at the farmer's market, I don't know, years ago, and it's gotten so huge. So I've been trying to take cuttings of it, and I've tried everything, and nothing seems to work. I've done you the know, hormone. Timing is an issue. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. And well, first of all, congratulations, because bay laurel bay plants are very susceptible to scale. So I've got one growing in, I hope, the right spot now. I've lost a couple to scale insects. I'm confessing my, you know, bad uh, habits here, but mine's doing well. But they're woody plants, and so that can be challenging. What I would try to do, Betty, is as it's putting on new tender growth, take your cuttings from that. I don't know if you've tried you know, before, because they get pretty woody pretty quick. 
And then if you could take just a short cutting, like two to three inches, remove the lower leaf. It sounds like you're doing everything right. And timing, especially for plants that tend to form those woody stems, even though we grow them as indoor plants, timing can greatly influence um, rooting success. So I would try this spring as you're getting that burst of new growth coming, as the days are longer, light intensity, as you're seeing lots of new growth, try taking cuttings then. That might increase your success. And thanks again for calling. Appreciate it. You can join in too, 800-642-1234. Let's look at a couple of emails here. Um, Have we talked about Josh email looking for... Advice for propagating dragon palms. He's had very little success. You know, um, one of the things I've had, you might, yes, very, very challenging. So seeds from palms, one, we usually don't have success with having seeds form and reaching maturity to start them from that. Um, Cuttings, you're talking about larger stems. I've had success doing some air layering with palms. Um, and and that's basically on the stem, you cut it halfway through, wedge it open, put some rooting hormone, pack in some moist sphagnum moss, wrap some plastic, and a month or two you get roots and a plant, and then sprouting from below. And he was saying it was his dragon palm. Yeah. That he, so I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm try, I'm kind of trying to quickly, I'm in front of my computer, I'm trying to cheat here, Larry, and That's pull right. up a dragon palm to see if, because um, I have not grown that one, and I want to make I sure. I haven't either. Talking. Oh, okay. Some people call it a Mad- Madagascar dragon tree. So oh. we may be talking about, you may be talking about, and that's where common names are a challenge. So if it is the um some people call it a, it's a type of Dracaena. It could be a palm, it could be a Dracaena. What I'm seeing when I pull this up is a Dracaena, often called dragon palm. So if it's a Dracaena, they have kind of that woody stem. Um, again, taking a shorter cutting from the top, if in fact it's this. But I've also used air layering with this. And so what will happen where you remove, so you do the air layer, you cut it off after it roots. The part left behind will usually put out two sprouts, so you have two stems coming from that area. If you want, if it's a long bare stem and you're trying to get leaves lower, sometimes what I'll do is air layer it, then cut back closer to the pot and get the branching to occur lower. So if you're calling a Dracaena, a dragon tree palm, which some people do, I see, um, you could try air layering. You could try shorter cuttings if you haven't had done that before. You could also try, um, some people will do stem cuttings, and so if you air layered it and you have a bare section of stem, you could remove that, cut it into two to three inch lengths. This works great with Diefenbachias as well. Bury them halfway, and then you'll get where the nodes occurred, a new plant growing. But that's another one that takes like a month or two. So, Josh, I would try cuttings from shorter cuttings near the tip or try air layering. And there's some good information. We did a video on air layering for Melinda's Garden Moments. It's housed on my website, too. You could check that out. But that might be a way to propagate a new plant while maintaining the old plant as well. And let's take a call from Stuart in Menominee. Hi, Stuart. 
Hi, how are you? Good. Appreciate I, um, the call. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, I have tons of orchids uh, that I have, and I um, can get them to bloom regularly uh, using sort of like a cold shock treatment on them um, to get them to throw their blooms. But I have yet to be able to figure out how to propagate an actual plant, and uh, I wanted to know if there was any advice on that. Oh, yeah. So a lot of our orchids are tissue cultured is how they and that's why they've really come down in price because they've really gone to doing that tissue culturing. Um, are you doing the phalaenopsis, the moth orchids? Is that mainly what you're growing? Uh, those uh, phalaenopsis, um, some cymbidium, uh, just uh, different varieties. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, boy, um, I'm not sure there's an easy, I have not, you know. There's not an easy way. No, exactly. So I'm going to, I am going to suggest, here's where I, this is where I know my limitations. So sorry, Stuart, I am not going to be able to help you. Um, I'm not sure, I think the orchid folks sometimes are at the expo. So that would be the place to talk to them. You're in Menominee Falls. I know the Wisconsin Orchid Society in the past has met at the domes and sometimes will do a show, and they would be a good place. I am going to do a little research for you, Stuart, and I'm going to send what I find. I'm going to see if I can get some info for you. I will send it over to um, Larry and Jill. So, and I will also put something in one of my upcoming articles for the Journal Sentinel. But I need to do a little research. So let me see if I can talk to some experts that can help us both out. There you go, Stuart. Uh, thank you very much uh, for calling. Appreciate your call. Liz in Middleton, uh, what's on your mind? Um, yes, I was just uh Noting that I've given a number of um, amaryllis bulbs to friends, and they're from Canada, and they say waterless. And they're beautiful. They just keep blooming and blooming. I'm just wondering, what do they do with the bulbs? What do we do with the bulbs afterwards? Can we plant them outside, or do we just pitch them? And I've never had a waterless amaryllis bulb before. but And we only have about raving. 45 seconds or so to answer that. And if it's the wax type of bulb, you don't need soil, you don't need water, and they grow. They're just amazing. If you want to keep them blooming year after year, you will need to eventually pot them up. But those waxless amaryllis are amazing. So there you go. Just uh, pot them up and keep them, Liz. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate your call. Melinda Myers, nationally known gardening expert, TV and radio host, author, and columnist, our guest today for Garden Talk, I'm Larry Mueller. Listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network, Larry Mueller here, and really pleased to have back Melinda Myers with us, nationally known gardening expert, 
uh, TV, radio host, author, columnist, has some great books. And I hope you'll join in with your questions as we move along today. Number to call is one 800 642 or you can email us to ideas at WPR.org. Love to hear from you. Just to mention, we've, there was some talk about orchids and, and so forth, and the Orchid Show uh, is coming on February 4th and 5th to Ulbrich Gardens. Oh, excellent. Uh, and there are going to be lots of, of uh, orchid experts there as well, and uh, that's always a really nice show. So it's the 4th and the 5th uh, at, uh, in Madison at Ulbrich gardens so and it's worth the drive Stuart, from menominee falls it's worth the drive they have the conservatory if you haven't been there oh, you get yeah. a little breath of oh, just in there about summer. a week ago or maybe two weeks ago now it was such a nice respite <laughs> you know and and we do have a lot of plant experts you know when i when i'm working at the state fair i always go to i think it's now the grand champion building it used to be the horticulture building and you can talk to Ichabon experts and, you know, yeah. bonsai experts and, you know, people that have been doing it for decades and have a lot of great experience that I always pick their brains when I have a chance because I always learn so much. So thank you for that. Definitely worth a trip, even if you're not local, to uh, visit Ulbrich. It's a beautiful garden and definitely worth visiting several times a year. Lynn emailed, she has two smaller fiddly figs in a pot what's the best way to propagate them well you know most of a lot of people are trying to grow their fiddly figs into larger plants this is one too with their stouter stems that you might want to try air layering i've got one i'm air layering right now in my shop area um, and pretty successful that way cuttings you may have success again from the growing tip um, you have two of them in a pot, so I'm wondering if you're thinking that you need to divide them and separate them. So you have one plant per container. You can do that as well um, if you're worried about it being crowded. But again, you're going to be, you know, where you make your cut to take that cutting, you're going to encourage branching. So you, you know, if it's up, you know, two feet above, where you make that cut, you're going to have two branches come out typically. So I've done some large rubber plants that I've taken cuttings and had success rooting and then, um, you know, encouraging branching down lower. One thing, too, to do, sometimes people want to propagate air layering as a way to handle plants that are bare on the bottom to encourage, you know, if you want to get leaves from top to bottom cutting it back, as I mentioned, above the pot so the branching occurs lower. But even pinching out the growing tip of something like a fiddly fig or rubber tree um, by that new leaf as it's starting to unfold removes a growth hormone called auxin. And by doing that, that encourages branching and new leaves to form lower on the plant. So sometimes that's just another way to kind of improve the look of your existing plant if you're not looking to make more, but just improve its appearance. Let's take a call from May in Jackson. May, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, yes. I'm calling because um, I have mulch around my entire home. And um, my problem is that I have thistle weeds that grow in abundance everywhere. All I do is pull them out 
and I'm wondering if there's any natural effective ways for me to get ahead of the thistles so that my flower garden can thrive. Do you know what kind of thistles there are? Are they Canada thistles? Canada thistles and some bull thistles. But mostly Canada. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I I had somebody come, I had a, you know, thistles love it hot and dry, so they've been doing well. The the goldfinches love the seeds. I'm trying to find reasons. You know, you do need, they are considered uh, noxious weeds, too. We need to control. Um, Obviously, non-chemically pulling them, you may want to try, there are some products that use plant oils and soaps. It won't kill the roots, it just burns the tops. So it's one that um, you don't want it to hit your desirable plants because you could damage those, and you'd need to do it repeatedly to try to keep them under control. Um, I wouldn't want to use, you know, a propane weed, you know, killer yeah. by your house in a wood mulch, um, but you may want to try that. Um, even a Dutch hoe that you could slide underneath the mulch to cut through the plant and eventually starve it to death. So the options are continually pulling and digging and believe me may the weeds are winning in my yard um you know the dutch hoe might be a way to at least it's got a long handle so you can stand up it's very sharp so you need to be careful not to take out your good plants and then the organic products there's some that use uh, burnout uses a clove oil it smells really good um, there's a few others that use soaps at a very high concentration, and so they just burn the tops. They don't kill the roots, so you'll have to do it repeatedly. But those would be my only organic suggestions that I would have. Yeah, Canada thistles are the worst oh, to aren't they? get rid yeah. of. Yeah, for sure. Well, May, that's it. Good luck. And, <laughs> Good luck. You know, think about the calories you're burning. You can have that extra <laughs> cookie for dessert or something, right? <laughs> Oh, thanks again. Lin, uh, Linda and Madison, your turn. Hi, Linda. Um, hi. I have a Norfolk pine, which is um, about five and a half feet tall and wide. And um, it started bending over and... Um, Leaning out of the pot a bit, huh? And uh, to the point now where it would it it's just completely completely bent over and and i tried just putting a stake in the pot but the soil won't hold it up you may the the good news is what size of pot is it in would you diameter wise kind of a guesstimate um 12 inches more than than 12 inches i think maybe 12 inches or more the reason I was asking is there are some containers more designed for outdoor gardens that have built-in trellises, things for growing, you know, vines outside or tomato plants that have are, are sturdy that you might be able to find a container with a built-in trellis system. Um, you might be able to take an obelisk designed for outdoors that has multiple legs so that you can, you know, open on the top, like more like a tomato towery kind of thing, but prettier. Um, that would give you support all the way around. Um, you may want to use several different stakes so that and push them down as far into the soil so that the weight's more evenly distributed. Um, you might want to go online and then just see what kind of pots with built-in supports 
you know, I didn't have a good suggestion for a small snake plant, but for something the size you're dealing with, you might be able to find a larger container that would have something like that. Is it getting good, bright light, and are you able, before it it was laying on the ground, turn it so it's evenly distributed? It, well, I used to, but I moved in June, and I don't have room in my apartment for because it's, it's mm. small, the rooms are small, and so I have to give it away, but I feel like I can't give it away until right now it's just leaning against the wall and not, you know, some of the little leaflet things are coming off that are mm. right against the wall. And um, You might be willing to find a gardener that is willing to give a little. I meet gardeners that are struggling to find a good home for plant. And I'm fine. I meet a lot of gardeners who love to take challenges like this in. You might want to put the word out to your gardening friends and family that you've got this plant that needs a better home just because you don't have the space and the light. And you may be surprised that you can find someone that may be able to take it as is so that they can develop the solution that works for them. That would be my first first try. Or the put second, something, or put something uh, in the, your neighborhood association uh, uh, website too. That will get almost. That's a great idea. I'll tell you, there are lots of people out there that you'll. I think you'll be amazed. You'll probably make a gardening friend and have someone that can give it a, a home with better light than you can provide. You know, sometimes our plants outgrow our homes, and so. Um, that's a great idea, Larry. Get the word out, and I bet you'll find somebody. Uh, you might want to try that first before you invest a lot of money, and then they end up going, "Well, I don't like that pot. It doesn't match my decor." And yeah. you know, they may they may be willing to to spend the dollars and set it up that it works for them. Stella in Sturgeon Bay actually has something relating, I think, to to um, uh, forming a trellis plant in a pot. Let's go there, Stella. Hi. Uh, well, this would be for somebody who wants to keep the pot, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Living in Door County, we have many, many, many potters up here in the oh. county. So I would suggest if you know a potter, go to them and see if you can commission a, you know, a custom-made pot that would have maybe like supports for for like little slots or little loops to put to put trellis poles through or uh, you know, you could you could design whatever the potter feels that he or she can make. Um, That's a nice could, idea. With, with them. Yeah, it's a nice idea. And potters, I know, know the ones in Door County <laughs> and can do a pretty good job with their pots. I like and that I idea. And I think that is a great idea. And you might be opening up some business opportunities mm-hmm. for them, too. And I know there's quite a few in the Cambridge area, too. So... That's an excellent idea. Um, thank you, Stella. This is why I, I love any time I get to visit with you, Larry, and your listeners. I always walk away with some new ideas. <laughs> thank you, Stella. Uh, on to uh, Rose in Menominee Falls. Hi, Rose. Hello there. Thank you for taking my call. I had purchased a false Aurelia plant many years ago. It was approximately three feet tall in a pot. And I loved it for the the leaves on it. My friends told me it looked like uh, marijuana leaves. (laughs) So that was the description. And it grew and grew and grew. And I I couldn't keep it in the same spot. So 
So the only spot I had for it was tucked kind of behind a, a, a tall chest. It didn't get nearly as much light. But this plant morphed into a totally different plant. It kept growing. It developed like a tree trunk with a canopy of leaves on the top that were like oblong, long leaves, nothing like the <laughs> leaves I had before. Wow. <laughs> wow. Pretty cool. Okay. Uh, and I know that is a Mingaralia plant from your description, it sounds like it. And those are very cool plants. They like high humidity. They often lose their lower leaves. I have never seen the leaf shape morph. But if you think about it, if the light is much lower, by having a broader leaf, there's more surface area to collect the light. And so perhaps it was just either um, changing in growth characteristic to be able to capture what light was available, or there could have been a mutation. Plants can mutate because of environmental reasons and stresses. That's one way they adapt to changes. So, Rose, I have not heard of that, but... Mutations occur. That's how we got, you know, ruby red grapefruit and some of the other <laughs> things that, you know, we had mutations happen on plants. So thanks for sharing it. So it sounds like even though it's not as ideal of a growing spot, the plant is adapted, doing great, and decided to change things up for you. How cool. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, I love that story, Rose. Thanks. Uh, well, let's go to Mary in North Lake. Hi, Mary. Hi, Larry. Thanks for the call, and hi, Melinda. Hi. Uh, just a, uh, just a something for the person who had thistles, and I don't know how big of a thistle, but anyway, in spring when um, the frost goes out of the ground completely, if you have a nice leather glove, get to the base of that thistle and pull it, a lot of times you can pull the old root right out, and it won't come back uh, many times. Uh, but, of course, uh, cut the seed heads off whenever you see seed heads in that should help. <laughs> well, you know, thank you, Mary, for that tip. And a lot of it depends on the type of thistle, perennial or an annual, but that's a great point. If you get any weed early in the season, so very, very good tip, Mary, any weed early in the season, especially moist soil, it's going to be easier to pull. You hopefully, you know, prevent it from flowering so you don't get the zillions of seeds and more plants to pull in the future. So thank you for sharing that, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. Uh, Eliza emailed, she has a very old jade plant, fit, over 50 years old. Wow. Mother gave it to her. But the last three years, it, it keeps looking worse. And this winter, she tried to leave it be and didn't water it. And then the branch a branch started dying off, and now it's very droopy. She gave it a few ice cubes, but no, she should, shouldn't water it too much. You know, that's always the challenge because it depends on how hot you keep your house, how much light your plant receives um, in terms of watering. And she's right, Eliza, you're right, less water in the winter, but not total drought all winter. You don't want it to totally dry up. I used to always say, you know, the challenge of trying to diagnose plant problems is the patient doesn't speak and it's already half buried, right? Yeah. So you might want to get someone to help you because if it's 50 years old, it's probably pretty big and pretty heavy, and slide it out of the pot and see what's going on with the roots. You know, if they're dry and crispy, it might be time to um, boost your watering. You know, you may want to water thoroughly but less often. You know, check it every couple of weeks. And it may be every three or four weeks, depending. Um, my cacti and succulents are in some pretty bright 
uh, light. We keep our house kind of cool. But I usually find every two or three weeks I need to give them a good blast of water. For me in my house, that works. Um, you may, if the roots are slimy, you may need to trim off anything that's slimy and rotten, then put it in a container just slightly bigger than what's remaining. Um, I think I'd see what's happening underground, and that will help guide you in terms of how you need to adapt your care. You may have just let it go a little too long between watering. Cooler temperatures, slightly drier soil, good bright light are a good way to not only get our cacti and succulents through the winter, but also often will encourage them to bloom in the spring. Here's uh, an interesting uh, email from Kathy in Weyerhaeuser. She emailed, for the last two years, she has planted cabbage cores in pots, and they send out leaves all winter, and last year it put out flowers. Oh, that is great. Well, cabbage are biennial, so... You know, they die outside in the winter. I have never tried cabbage cores, so I'm going to have to try that. Kitchen <laughs> scrap gardening isn't going to be the way you're going to have a lot of produce to put up, but it's a fun way to try different things. And, Kathy, thank you for sharing that. So we're all going to have to try this. Stuff. That is really cool. I've never heard that. I love I it. Haven't, I haven't either. You know, I've had kale that makes it through the winter, and then it'll flower the second year because, you know, it, it can be biennial to perennial. So that's a great idea, Kathy. I, thank you. I'm going to give that a try. Annie emailed. She has a 35-year-old beefsteak begonia on life support. She's restored <laughs> from, uh, She's restarted from cuttings before, but this time the stems just rot. She oh. repotted the dying plant into a smaller pot and will change the cutting uh, change the cutting water every week uh, like the Internet recommends. She puts a little miracle grow in the water but doesn't have much hope. I would, you know, and the other thing, Annie, is try. It sounds like you've had great success doing cuttings in water, and that kind of goes with the if this works, keep doing it. But maybe try um, using vermiculite, moist vermiculite, or a potting mix instead with a couple of your cuttings and see if you have better success than doing it in water. I've done it both ways. Um, you know, I've been in a hurry, and so I can get a glass of water and throw the cutting in there, and I tend to have better success putting it right in a potting mix um, just because I tend to be in underwater, keep it moist, and find they root. So, you know, plants 35 years old is pretty old, too. Yeah. You know, it may be more of it's, like, done and less in terms of your – it sounds like you know what you're doing. So it might just be either adapting to it, try something different, and it may be time to just – it might be time to get a new plant, unfortunately. Yeah. You mentioned grapefruit earlier just in passing, and Bill in Green Bay emailed that he and his grandson experimented with grapefruit seeds. They planted two and have a beautiful, vibrant, green, two-foot-high plant. Bill transplants it every spring uh, to a larger pot and leaves it outside during nice weather. He wonders if he should do anything else. You know... I think the same kind of care, it is in the citrus, it's the same kind of care. Um, a lot of these plants, when we start them from seed, you're not sure what you're going to get. If it does eventually flower and fruit, so it could be a surprise, does usually take quite a few years to reach maturity. 
It sounds like it's going great. And how how fun is that? Such great science lessons for our kids, helping them understand how plants grow. Plus, we're gardeners, so we like to try new things. So it sounds like you're doing it all great. If um, you haven't, if you want to try to nudge it into bloom, a flowering plant fertilizer, or do the Larry Mueller technique and use fish emulsion <laughs> year-round, that works well for for Limey for him. So that might be enough to give you that constant supply. Um, but it sounds like it's going great, and it's just going to be a matter of time and a little bit of luck that that plant will eventually flower and fruit for you. Yeah, it, that's uh, that is uh, very cool. So we both learned a couple of things here today on the show. Well, it's always good to talk to your listeners and you, Larry. It's always fun. (laughs) Thank you so much, Melinda. I'll see you uh, at the Garden Expo uh, and uh, hope sooner than that, maybe. You never know. You (laughs) never know. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks to all your listeners. Everyone have a great rest of your day. Melinda Myers. And go to melindamyers.com, by the way, and you'll learn some more about all of the events that she's going to be participating in and all the great information that's on that melindamyers.com website. And remember, Myers is M-Y-E-R-S. Join us on Monday at noon to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Live from the Capitol Rotunda, it's Wisconsin's 42nd annual tribute and ceremony Words and music, it's the nation's oldest official MLK state commemoration. So tune in Monday at noon here on Wisconsin Public Radio and online at WPR.org. And that, of course, means that our show will be a little shorter. We'll be going from 11 to 12 on Monday with our physical therapist. And we'll talk about keeping your hips healthy. What about that? That's Monday. In the meantime... Thank you so much for listening. Please stay with us. Lots more in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Mueller.